You are listening to an Emmanuel Community Church podcast. For more sermons or information about the church, visit our website at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. It was 55 years ago when Sesame Street first did their one of these things is not like the other. And it became a regular. If you remember either as a child or with your children or maybe your grandchildren, if you remember that little jingle they would play and then they would show three items or four items, but three would be similar, the other different. And the child was supposed to be able to pick out the one that is not like the other. Studies have shown, by the way, multiple studies have shown that this has really been helpful to children. Not only do they able to pick it out and it gives them logical reasoning, but also it helps them sort things. And so it's determined it's been a very positive thing. But of course, over the years, there's been lots of memes <laughs> where people play on the one of these things is not like the other. In fact, I've seen some pictures, maybe some of yours online, where one family member looks different than all the others. <laughs> so one of these things is not like the other. Today we come to the second in our study of the genealogy of Matthew, and that's the focus. There are 42 names, but four of them are not like the others. Not only in the feminine sense, but in other ways, those four are not like the others. I think had uh, maybe an older Jewish man or rabbi been given Matthew's gospel thousands of years ago, right after it was written, and he opened it and began reading the first page of that scroll, probably, and as he read it, he came to those names. I think each time he went, oh, oh, that's... He might have circled it. That doesn't fit. That name is not, that doesn't belong there. Well, let me show you what we're learning. We're learning that in the genealogy, we have five golden kings. We learned about them last week. We have four errant. Errant, not because of sin, although we'll talk about that. But as you study them, you realize they don't really fit here. They, they don't belong in this genealogy. We have three different eras we'll look at next week. Two famous dads, very important. And then lastly, on Christmas Eve, Eve Eve and Eve, we will study and a babe in a genealogy. Take your Bibles, if you would please, and turn to Matthew chapter one, or you can follow along in your notes as well. The scripture's printed there for you. And let's dig in. There are two lessons that I want you to capture in the next five weeks together. Number one is genealogies often seem boring. I got an email this morning from a gentleman right after, I don't know if you know, but uh, every Sunday morning on Bot Radio, the, my preaching or whoever preaches here, the sermon is on one week delayed. And so this morning, the first in this series was played at eight o'clock on Bot Radio. I got an email right after that saying, I confess I'm one of those people who thinks genealogies is boring but from now on, I might not skip them. That's important. There, I realize as you look at them, you go, oh, really, all these names? Most of them I can't pronounce. But if you really take a few moments to dig in, there are some wonderful insights 
that you'll get from there and nowhere else. Secondly, Jesus was born of the perfect line to be the king and the Messiah. In fact, of the only line that he could have been born of. So God had this all worked out in advance that he would be born of this line. It would be perfect. And you realize that had, had the Jewish people had a king in those days, they didn't because Rome was in power. But had, they, had their own king, Jesus would have been that rightful king. So when he rides into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday, he does so rightfully. And you realize that as you read this genealogy and go, wow, God had all this worked out. Now, this genealogy, and I shared this with you last week, so I'll just say it one more time. This genealogy teaches us that God is the God of the foremost, the most important people. And that would include the kings that we talked about last week and the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. It would include Mary, the mother of Jesus, Joseph possibly, very important then. But I list him again as the second group, the fallen and the forgotten. That's what we're looking at today, the fallen and the forgotten. There are four women. There is Joseph who became forgotten, didn't he? We don't talk about him much anymore. And there's lots of nobodies. When I read their names to you last week, many of you have no idea who those people are. I don't either. Thirdly, next week we'll look at the fact that God is the God of forever. Matthew very cleverly breaks this genealogy down into three parts. And each part is different, a different time period, and yet God is always the same. Number four, he is the God of the faithful and the fathers. Now, when I say fathers, that's the biblical term, but we would say today fathers and mothers or parents, godly men and women. He's the, he's the God of all of them. And then when you get to the last one, we often say last but not least. This is last but most important. This is the firstborn, Jesus Christ. God the Father is the father of his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus willingly took that position and became the son of God the Father. And he is the one we worship. And we're going to study him on Christmas. I'm sorry, yeah, Christmas Eve. Okay, I'm going to read the scriptures. Last week I read the whole genealogy. Today I'm just going to read the, part, the portion that we're dealing with in this study of the four women. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And I can see that old Jewish man going, Oh, oh, you, you don't put her name there. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Sorry, I didn't switch. Aminadab, the father of Nishon. Nishon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahav in Hebrew, but Rahab is what we say in English. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, that's where we'll stop, because all four of the women have been included in those first six verses. So, as we look at the genealogy that includes these four women, let's just remember a few things. Number one, let's remember that everyone except Jesus Christ is errant. The word errant means in error or a misfit. These four women, and I'm going to show you this, 
really don't fit here. Now, I know some of you might be thinking already, oh yeah, so we had five men who are golden kings and now we have four women who are misfits. That's not the point. Please understand, that's not where I'm going. You're gonna see that in a moment. But these four women are there because they don't fit and they teach us some wonderful things. By the way, if you take a look at this genealogy and the fallen ones, Another way we could sing these five days of Christmas would be this way. Five sinful kings, four sinful women, three sinful arrows, two sinful fathers, and a sinless babe in a genealogy. That's really the way we should understand it. Every name in the genealogy is fallen. Every one of them except the last one, Jesus Christ. And so that's a good way to be reminded but it's kind of boring to sing it the same way each time. So let's go back to the four errant women. These four names, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, would be questioned in this genealogy for multiple reasons. Let me show you. Number one, obviously, they are women. In a genealogy that typically includes only men. Fascinating to me. Now, I'm not saying, and please, you can go back and look at them. I told you last week, 340 genealogies in the Bible. So you'll find that some of them in the Old Testament do include women, much the same way this one does. And so Matthew is doing something common, but it's not often used. Usually it's the dads. So-and-so begat so-and-so who begat so-and-so, but moms are not included typically. So... Not only are they women, but they're not the women you would think would be in a genealogy. So if you're going to put four women in this, who would they be? Well, you would think Sarah, maybe Rachel. Some of those women who kind of were the moms of the Jewish people, they're not even included. So that's the first part that doesn't seem to work. Secondly, all four of these women are Gentiles. In a very Jewish genealogy, this can't be more Jewish. In other words, this is so Jewish that it begins with Abraham and ends with a Jewish king, Christ. But in the middle, you've got four Gentile women. Tamar and Rahab are Canaanites. Ruth is a Moabite. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And then Bathsheba, now here I'm guessing, okay? I'm just guessing because I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Bathsheba could have been a Jew, but because her husband is Uriah the Hittite, we have assumed that she is also a Hittite. Don't know that for sure. But we'll just assume right now all four of them are Gentiles, so you don't fit in a Jewish genealogy. Thirdly, they each would be viewed as outcasts. Tamar and Rahab are prostitutes. One pretends to be, the one other one really is. Ruth was a Moabite. If you can think of your worst enemy, that's what the Moabites were for the Jews. And to bring a Moabite into the line, oh. And then lastly, Bathsheba, well, you know, she's an adulteress. We'll talk about each of these women in detail. Now, as we consider the names of these four women, we're reminded that no one is excluded from salvation because of their gender, their heritage, their sin, and that's the joy of reading something like this genealogy is you go, wow, maybe there's hope for me. If all of these people, both men and women who are sometimes 
not faithful, not godly, are still there, then, then maybe there's hope for me. By the way, I would take you to Colossians where Paul says, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Any one of these, Christ can save. Or if you look at Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So when we, we read this genealogy, we go, oh, this was true even before Paul wrote that. Paul was just confirming that all of us are equal in Christ Jesus. Now, there's one more woman in this genealogy, and you know who it is, and you may have already wondered why I'm not including her. Well, number one, I'm not including the Virgin Mary because that would give me five and it wouldn't fit with the song, <laughs> right? But, but way more importantly, she is not in his genealogy in the sense of looking past. She is his mom. I'm gonna say this, just to be clear, and I, I do not wanna say it to be divisive. As you may know, in 1943, the Roman Catholic Church declared, the Pope declared, that Mary was without sin. And that was one of the four Marian, or doctrines of Mary, called Marian doctrines. We do not believe that. And in fact, we believe, I think the Bible is clear, that all men and all women and every one of us is a sinner. And the only one who stands apart as sinless in this genealogy is the one, Jesus Christ. That's it. Now, I'm not including Mary, but we'll talk about her on Christmas Eve. She's not one of the four in the past genealogy. So let me tell you about the four women. I'm going to give you a statement about them. I'm going to tell you the story, and then I'm going to read some of the scriptures. We'll start with the oldest in the genealogy. That's Tamar. Tamar was the daughter-in-law of Judah. Now, why is Judah important? You probably remember. Jesus had to come through the line of Judah. So the line of Judah is very, very important. But you see, Judah's son married Tamar, and the son died. Now, in those days, when your husband would die, as long as there were other sons you were then passed on to the next son of your father-in-law, mother-in-law. I, I know that seems so weird to us today. We talk about falling in love and all of those things. In those days, it had more to do with keeping the line pure. And so she should have been given to her, to the next son. And truth is, Judah knew that. But he forgot her. She became a forgotten woman. So what she did is she pretended to be a harlot, prostitute. And she dressed up and veiled her face. And her father-in-law, and she did this because she knew what he was doing, with father-in-law went on a trip, and so she enticed him. And he spent the night with her. Her father-in-law produced two sons, Perez and Zerah. And you go, wow, that's a, that's a pretty crude story. It's the kind of thing we watch on TV now, isn't it? <laughs> it's like everything you see. I mean, this would really be a popular story if they put this one on TV. Because it has all of that kind of sad sexual stuff. But that's what happened. 
Judah, at least, was a fair man after he found out. In fact, I'll read you now the story. Judah got a wife for heir, that's Tamar, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar, and then we move on. He had died, and Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, live as a widow in your father's household until my son, Shelah, grows up, and then you can have him. But she was forgotten. Now, sometime later, after she tricked her father-in-law, about three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution. And as a result, she's pregnant. And Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. What a godly man, right? Hypocrite. And then she did something that was so genius. Actually, that night that she spent with him, she said, could I have two of your belongings? As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her, father, to her father-in-law. I'm pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. See if you recognize whose seal and cord these are. Can you imagine him? Gulp, right? Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I since I wouldn't give her to my son Shelah and he did not sleep with her again. She is in the genealogy. You say, what a, what a sad story, yes. But it reminds us that all of us at times have been forgotten. And even if you're forgotten, you won't be forgotten by God. The second woman is Rahab, and most of you know this story much better. The Israelites were now finishing their 40 years of wilderness wandering, and they were going in to conquer Canaan, and the very first city they are to conquer is Jericho. Many of you have been there. And as they go to Jericho, there's a woman who lives in the wall. That was common in those days, that you'd live right within the wall of the city. Your, your house was built into the wall. And she realized that God was doing something really special with Israel, and she didn't want to be on the wrong side. So she brought in two or several of the spies who went into Israel, and she kept them in her house, and she asked that she would be included in Israel. And so when Israel conquered Jericho, and you all know the story of the walls come falling down, her life was spared. And she reminds us of a fallen person. Fallen in the sense that she was living a life that we today would say, wow, that's about as rough as it gets. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies to Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord, destroyed. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. It's a wonderful story, this Rahab, and she became the mother of uh, a Boaz, and uh, we'll talk about him in just a moment. Naomi's family, this is Ruth. Ruth, probably many of you know best, I did, a, I think, an eight-week series a few years ago on the book of Ruth. It was one of my favorites because I learned so much about not only Ruth, but the Jewish people there. And Ruth was a woman who married an Israeli man. Why? Because this Israeli family lived in Bethlehem, but there was a famine, and they couldn't, they couldn't even eat. So the four of them, Naomi, her husband, and two sons, moved to Moab, and there the two sons met and fell in love with Moabite girls, and they got married. Now, it's somewhat the same story here, 
Once they got married, the two husbands died very young. But Ruth, Ruth said, Naomi, if you go back to Israel, I'm going with you. And she says, no, you, you shouldn't go back with me. And she goes, I will. In fact, that's the very famous line that we read in lots of weddings, don't we? Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And she goes back to Israel, but she's always a foreigner. She always is one who doesn't seem to fit because she's not a Jew. Obed was her son, but before I read that to you, let me remind you about her husband. They married Moabite women, women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth, and after they had lived there about 10 years, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. So she married this guy by the name of Boaz. By the way, Boaz is a wonderful name. It means avenger. It means a kinsman redeemer, one who uh, buys back. He's the picture of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Some years ago, and many of you know this, I've told you before, but I owned a car called a Dodge Avenger. So once I got the Dodge Avenger, I got a new license plate that said Boaz. As <laughs> long as I had that car, I had that license plate. And every time I'd go out somewhere shopping or whatever and I'd park my car, I'd come back out and people would be looking at my license plate. What's Boaz mean? And I'd say, well, it means avenger. It's a Hebrew word for avenger. And if they acted interested, I'd go on to say, and he was a character in the Bible who was a picture of Jesus. You know what I always found fascinating? How, how people were so interested and how they would at least act like, tell me more. And I would be able to share my faith because of Boaz. Ruth's husband. Bathsheba, probably the one you know best. Bible says she was stunning. She was a beautiful woman. And one day she was bathing on her roof, probably sponge bath kind of thing. But the king whose house is higher than anybody else's looked down and saw her on the roof. Obviously, he'd seen her before. It wasn't just this one time at a distance. He must have known who she was. I'm sure he did. And he sent his men to go get her. And she came back to his palace. And there the two spent the night together. And she became pregnant. Now, here's where it really gets gruesome because... When David found out she was pregnant, he lied, he was deceitful, he brought her husband home to trick him into thinking it was his child, but the husband wouldn't even sleep with his wife. His name is Uriah, you know. And finally, David committed murder. He had Uriah killed in battle. You talk about sin. This is like sin, 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 sin. Not just Bathsheba. By the way, some of you might say, well, was she a victim of a very powerful man who just told her she had to show up, or was she complicit? Was she involved in this too? I don't know the answer. Nobody does. I will say this, though, and I find this fascinating. As Matthew wrote the genealogy, he didn't have any trouble naming the first three women. But you notice he never named Bathsheba, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. I say Bathsheba because we know who it was. But he never named her, which makes me wonder, 
if at least they didn't believe that she was part of this sinful plan. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked out on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she's Bathsheba, the father of, I'm sorry, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Four women. If you had to circle the names that don't fit in this genealogy, you've got four female names, aside from Mary's. You have four women who are not only women, Gentiles, and four who are in the genealogy because of sin, someone's sin. And it's such a wonderful lesson to me because I learned that every person has a place in God's plan. If you've ever felt forgotten, if you've ever been a person who is fallen to the point that you think no, no God could ever save me, if you've ever felt like an outsider, a foreigner, or if you felt, felt like an absolute failure, then this part of the genealogy reminds me that you're okay. Sure, none of us are proud of those things, maybe, but we are reminded that we're not excluded doesn't matter about your heritage, your gender, your past. We've already said those things. If you've ever been forgotten, fallen, a foreigner, or felt like a failure, I want you to know God can still use you. In fact, second point is this. Your past sin doesn't disqualify you from being part of God's future plan. He will use you as you yield to him. So I hope you've been encouraged. hope you've been encouraged that whether you're a man or woman, you could have been in this genealogy even with your history because God uses those who are fallen. I'm gonna give you just a moment to think about this then I'm gonna lead you in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we worship and praise your holy name. We know that you are our Father and the Father of the firstborn, Jesus Christ. We thank you for him and what he's done for us. And Father, most of all, we're thankful as we're reminded today that all of us are fallen, and yet we can still be part of your plan. So Father, I pray that you'd encourage us through your Holy Spirit, give us direction Help us to know what you're calling us to do and be. And then give us the courage to be faithful to it. In your name we pray. Amen.